Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live sports betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, folks, Jeremy Evans here, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Network. As always, appreciate you listening in. Today is Monday, May 23rd, 2022. We have a very special guest with us today for what will be episode 21 on season four. And our special guest is Scotty Gaffield. He is the general counsel and coaching agent at Athletes First, uh, formerly senior counsel and director of business affairs at Under Armour. And then before that, he was the assistant general counsel and director of global development of Octagon uh, Sports. And then prior to that was with uh, the firm of Skate and Arps. So uh, a, a great history. He um, uh, and a very good person. He uh, has his undergraduate degree from Yale and he has his law degree from UCLA. So a little background on athletes first, which Scotty will get into as well, but it's a full service athlete management firm uh, representing uh, a lot of NFL players. Uh, so Scotty is both general counsel for the firm, but also he is a, um, agent for, uh, for coaches, both the college and the professional level. So we're so glad that Scotty was able to join us. Uh, so, uh, thank you again for listening, for listening in and making us the number one sports law podcast in the world and, uh, sit back and hopefully you enjoy the show. All right, folks. So we have a very special guest with us today, Scott Gaffield, who is the general counsel and coaching agent at Athletes First. Athletes First is uh, one of the premier uh, sports agency and sports marketing companies uh, in the country. Uh, they often represent uh, a lot of the top um, uh, uh, draft picks when it comes to the NFL. And, um, and again, has a, uh, a good reputation and, and, and Scott is, is well known in the industry and, uh, just really glad that he's with us today. So, uh, so Scotty, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Jeremy. Really appreciate you having me on. So, um, so obviously as general counsel and coaching agent, you've got, I mean, well, first of all, you got a great history, you know, you've, you know, you've worked at Under Armour or senior counsel, you were uh, assistant general counsel at Octagon, and of course, prior to that, you worked at a uh, Am One Hundred law firm. Um, 
got your BA from Yale. You got your JD from UCLA, uh, go Bruins. <laughs> so that's awesome. And, um, so, you know, I guess maybe talk to us a little bit about how you got into athletes first and, and what, what's some of the work that you're doing there. Sure. Um, you know, so like a lot of folks, um, you know, everyone's career path is, is kind of unique, I guess. And, uh, for me, at least, um, you know, I ended up going to law school, you know, for, for the reason that maybe a third of people go to law school is because you're not totally sure what you want to do with your life. And, um, you know, somebody told me at some point in time that you can do anything with a law degree. And I think that's, that's largely proven to be true. So I'm, I'm thankful for that at least, but I wish there was, uh, maybe more, more strategy that I could hearken back to, um, you know, when I made that decision, but, you know, coming out of law school, I, I really just had a, uh, huge priority to me, at least on, on repaying my student loans. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to, uh, you know, work through undergrad and, and get a pretty good financial aid package when I was playing basketball at Yale that allowed me to finish undergrad without any, uh, any student debt at all. And so the, the amount of the law school debt was, was kind of shocking to me. Um, you know, notwithstanding the fact that I, that I ended up going to a public school. Um, so, you know, I had an opportunity uh, to join Skadden uh, and work there for three years. Uh, I, I knew that it wasn't that, you know, that was unlikely to be the long-term uh, kind of goal for me just because I had sort of, you know, I knew a little bit about what that was all about, having summered there two summers. Um, for me, at least, that experience was about learning how to be the best lawyer that I could in a pretty short window of time. Um, so I spent just over three years there and uh, you know, I kind of joke that I did about five or six years worth of work in those three years because because that you work pretty hard. But I, you know, learned a ton uh, and was lucky enough to be able to parlay that into uh, a gig at Octagon, uh, a, a global and pretty much fully diversified sports agency. Um, that job required me to move from L.A. to uh, Tyson's Corner, Virginia. Uh, so that wasn't all that uh, that awesome at the time, particularly since I had just gotten engaged, uh, ended up getting married um, when uh, my fiance and then wife was still living in L.A. So, you know, we did the honeymoon and then kind of went our separate ways. But I managed to get back to L.A. Uh, and then uh, from Octagon, you know, as you mentioned, spent a couple of years uh, at Under Armour, a little over a little over two years there uh, in their sports marketing group. Uh, and then I was lucky enough to, um, you know, to have uh, an incoming call about this opportunity here at Athletes First. Their uh, general counsel, my predecessor, Mark Humanick, uh, had left the uh, the business probably four or five months prior. Um, you know, he had he had gone from being general counsel here back into uh, a boutique law firm environment. He was a litigator by trade, and I think uh, you know wanted to, to get back into doing some of that stuff and. You know, for me, getting back into the sports agency world uh, from a big brand was uh, was hugely attractive. I, I just I love the, um, you know, the entrepreneurial environment that exists in most sports agencies. Um, you know, just the notion that if you have a good idea, uh, you're probably going to be given the opportunity to try to throw it at the wall and see if it sticks, um, you know, see if you can turn it into a business. So to me, that's always been been really cool. And, you know, this place in particular, I thought was was really attractive because, um, you know, we were really, really good uh, in a relatively narrow vertical uh, of football players and and football coaches and administrators. Um, you know, and I had experience in, in a number of different sports, 
just by virtue of my time at uh, at Octagon, um, you know, and I sort of saw that as as some of the value that I could could bring here. Uh, so I joined Athletes First uh, in uh, what April of 2018, uh, so a little over four years ago, um, and you know, pretty soon thereafter, was presented with an opportunity to uh, recruit and represent basketball coaches, uh, basically to kind of layer on top of our football coaching business because there's a lot of you know, a lot of synergies between the two, um, you know, particularly in the college space, it's, you know, the same athletic directors that are hiring both kinds of coaches. For the most part, it's the same search firms that are running the searches. Um, you know, sometimes the same media members are involved. Uh, and, and so there was sort of a natural platform to build on that. Um, you know, and in terms of, of how I spend my time now, I would say, um, you know, probably something like, half to two thirds is, is kind of doing, you know, standard general counsel stuff. Uh, that's everything from our own internal employment agreements, uh, any kind of corporate transactions that we have internally, you know, office leases, um, evaluating new business opportunities, any acquisitions that we're doing, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, Last fall, I was lucky enough to hire a, uh, a talented young lawyer, Joe Ferrari, to help run our marketing contracts. Um, and he's been fantastic. But before he joined, I, I spent a little bit of time doing that as well. Um, and then the rest of my time is probably a combination of uh, my work as a, as a coaching agent and then also some legal work supporting uh, the football coaching and administrative uh, clients that we have. So, you know, GM, salary cap folks, uh, assistant GMs, all those sorts of types. Um, you know, so I've, I've really enjoyed that kind of getting deeper into the coaching business. Um, you know, for me, at least it's, it's representing folks that, uh, you know, are, are really high functioning adults in their own right. And, you know, I find it really rewarding to work with them. Um, you know, and find that I often, you know, learn as much from them as, as I hopefully impart to them, um, you know, just in, in slightly different areas. Uh, so I, I really find, you know, they're, they're great clients to have, um, you know, it's a really primarily business relationship, but of course I've, I've obviously become really close friends with a number of my clients as well, because uh, there is a, a, an intensely personal side to this, but you know, they're adults, they can, they can kind of handle their little stuff. And, and I really enjoy kind of working with them uh, on, on all of the bigger things that are impacting their lives and their careers. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and um, you know, I love hearing your history there, Scotty. And I love hearing, hearing um, you know, all the things that you got going on. So now in the, the coaching agent role, would you say that that's um, how sort of, sort of old would you say that industry is right because in the sense of obviously agency has been around for a while but um the coaching side i mean would you say that maybe coaches getting paid more money and sort of having agents is a newer phenomenon like maybe in the last 10 years or do you say maybe it's even beyond that yeah definitely newer um i would say it probably extends a little bit further back than 10 years or so um you know, I, I, it probably happened first on the football side, um, you know, because obviously there's, you know, there's just the economics, um, you know, in the college football world in particular are, are just, you know, a, orders of magnitude larger than the economics of the college basketball world. Um, 
And I would say that, you know, college football coaches really kind of first started getting agents, you know, call it 15, 17 years ago. Um, and, you know, basketball coaches probably started, call it maybe five years after that. Um, and, you know, and then I, I would say it really kind of started accelerating in terms of the prevalence of, of having agents, um, you know, really more like seven to nine years ago. Um, and, you know, it, honestly, even in the, in the time that I've been, the last four years that I've been involved with the space, um, you know, I, I've seen more and more assistant coaching, uh, assistant coaches having agents than, than ever had before. You know, it used to be the kind of clients that I would tell them, hey, look, you don't need an agent right now. Well, now they have an agent and the guy that's junior to them on the staff has an agent too. Uh, you know, and I mean, I think to some degree, um, you know, there's a little bit of it, you know, the thing where, you know, once, once everyone else has an agent, you know, the people that don't have agents are kind of looking at each other like, well, you know, what am I missing? Why, why shouldn't I have one? Um, but yeah, I mean, look, to your point, the economics of this world have, have changed significantly over the last 15 years or so. Um, you know, and I think hopefully, hopefully at least for the better for the, for all of those hardworking coaches out there. And I mean, I think agents have, have played a significant role in doing that, but I also think that the business of college sports has just, you know, significantly accelerated with, you know, bigger broadcast deals, uh, bigger, you know, school sponsorship deals, all that sorts of stuff. Um, you know, that I think just, just kind of creates a larger revenue pie to divide up. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's it's definitely a new and evolving space relative to the player business, which has obviously, you know, been around 30, 40 years um, in various forms and, and even longer than that. If you, you know, if you look back into the golf and tennis world where, where all of it kind of really started. Um, and I think to some extent, you know, the newness of of the coaching agent world, to me, at least there's a little bit of white space um, in terms of what you can do as an agent and how creative you can be, because, you know, it's not a, a space that is governed by a collective bargaining agreement, right? I mean, each, each contract is unique. Um, you know, obviously with, with public schools at the college level, you have some, um, you know, some state law hurdles sometimes to get around, but, um, you know, for the most part, it's, it's a space that is, um, you know, a little bit more freewheeling and, um, you know, kind of subject to, to creative negotiation, um, than the player space, which, you know, for the most part, you're dealing with, uh, collectively bargained form contracts and, you know, you're, you're certainly talking dollars, which is obviously the most important part, but, um, you know, you have relatively limited creativity, um, you know, beyond, beyond a handful of levers. Right. Right. Now on the coaching, um, sort of progress there, in terms of representing clients, what's the, what's like the normal process there? I mean, obviously, you know, you have a great reputation. Athletes first has got a good reputation. But what's the normal process there in terms of like how coaches reach out to you or how they find you? Is it all relationships? Um, and then it is, does the, is the life cycle of a coach similar to a player or is it, uh, is it completely different in the sense that maybe a player's particularly in NFL, maybe a player only lasts, let's say on average three and a half years, but maybe a coach lasts longer. I'd be kind of curious on, uh, on your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, good questions. I mean, on, on the sort of uh, origination of, of clients front, um, it is a little different, right? Because we don't have, uh, you know, in the player business, well, I mean, every year you have an NFL draft or an NBA draft, right? And, and it's pretty normal for players coming out of college uh, to, to declare pro, sign with an agent and prepare for the draft, right? That sort of sort of creates a natural point in time when everyone kind of signs with an agent. Um, on the coaching side, side it's, it's a little bit less well-defined. Uh, and, and so, you know, you really kind of have to figure out, okay, you know, what's the right time to approach a, a potential client, um, you know, without necessarily jumping on them and trying to represent them, you know, too early before they really need an agent and before they're really in a position to pay an agent, um, you know, cause you can certainly do that and, you know, spend a number of years of time uh, representing someone for free without it ever turning into, um, you know, an actual business relationship uh, or on the flip side, if, if you kind of wait too long uh, you know, you run the risk that, some some other agent is going to come in and and try to sign with sign them first. So um, yeah, it's it's there's a little bit of an art to it in terms of of figuring out uh, you know when and how to to contact coaches. But I would say the majority of my clients, and you know, I have around twenty right now. Um, you know, most of them have come through personal referrals, uh, whether it's a a member of the media. Uh, or someone in an athletic administration that has a relationship with a coach that's looking for an agent. Um, you know, sometimes search firms have have recommended me to folks, uh, or sometimes other coaches say, "Hey, you know, I know so and so who's who's a good buddy of mine. He's a good guy. You know, he's looking for an agent. I gave him your number. That that kind of deal." Um, so I would say that's the majority of them. And then, you know, there are certainly some that are just you know cold call outreach. Um, you know, you, you, whether it's on social media or uh, by cell phone or email, um, you know, just contacting folks and explaining to them a little bit about, um, you know, what it is that we do. And, um, you know, just just trying to feel it out, develop a relationship and see if it might be a fit to work together. Um, you know, and then in terms of like the life cycle of what a coach's career looks like, uh, it, it's it can vary greatly. Um, you know, I think, and that's maybe, you know, the, the basketball space is what I'm most familiar with. So I'll, I'll kind of speak to it from that perspective. Um, you know, oftentimes most of these coaches, you know, they, they got into this to teach kids and because they love coaching, you know, and it's not necessarily the kind of thing where, um, you know, making, you know, making a zillion dollars, um, you know, coaching in the, the, you know, most elite potential situation is, a, is necessarily a huge priority to each of them. So it really kind of depends in terms of what that, that coach's goals and aspirations are, because, you know, there certainly are coaches on the other end uh, who want to do this at the highest possible level, um, you know, and so are, are always actively looking to, to move up from job to job. Um, but that's kind of the nuance of it is figuring out, okay, you know, if, if you're a coach and you've, you know, you've been successful enough to get yourself a head coaching job, and then you've been, uh, you've worked hard enough and been lucky enough to succeed at that job. Uh, are you thinking about it through the lens of, you know, how can I make this place better? Uh, or are you thinking it through the lens of, you know, how can I use my success here to get the next job? 
and then if if I you know if I'm going to look at that next job, what does that next job look like? Um, you know, but we've had we've had clients that have gone from um, you know making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year as a a low division one head coach uh, to making you know high six figure, low seven figures as a you know a high end mid major coach. Uh, and then, you know, and then making 2 million plus um, as a as a power five head coach, um, you know, and it can be that sort of arc. And then, of course, if someone gets let go, um, you know, from a big time job, well, you know, what's their next bounce back job? You know, do they do they go and, you know, wait and maybe take a year off uh, and do media for a year or perhaps just spend the year, you know, visiting with um you know, other, other well-known coaches that are in that, their network to maybe pick some things up and, um, you know, wait for the right kind of opening to open up maybe the next job cycle. Uh, so there, I mean, there are a lot of different sort of considerations that go into it in terms of exactly what any specific journey looks like. Um, but, you know, of course, underpinning all of it is the fact that, you know, this is, is a person's life. And usually you're also impacting that person's family's life as well. Um, you know, and so just depending on where someone is at with, you know, whether it's their kids or their marriage, um, you know, that can also weigh heavily into it in terms of, of what they're looking for. You know, something might be, a, you know, maybe a little bit of an upgrade career wise, but, you know, if they have kids that are just about to uh, finish high school or something like that, well, you know, maybe moving isn't, isn't quite so attractive at that moment in time. And, and so they're waiting for something else. So, you know, because these are, are um, you know, adults with more complex lives um, than, you know, most of the uh, the young men that are our player clients who are, you know, for the most part, pretty much just focused on playing football um, and, you know, everything else comes second. Um, you know, there's just a little bit, I think, more variety and, and more nuance in terms of, uh, you know, how the client life cycle works on the coaching side. Right. No, and that's fascinating, Scotty. I mean, that's, uh, it really gives you an insight into the differences in, in representing coaches versus players. Um, and it's not necessarily that it's, it's going to be more consistent or less consistent. It's just different. Um, now in your role as general counsel, you know, one of the things I often like to tell, um, you know, like corporate clients, or if I'm working an in-house, you know, role, is this idea that I, I like to be the department of yes, but, you know, so like, yes, we can get that deal done, but we have to do it in this way, right? Or we have to change this term or change that. And then you got to balance the interest between business and legal. Uh, and especially in the sports space, I find maybe in any space, but particularly in like entertainment and sports. Do you kind of find that that's the sort of the case too, that you're, you're constantly balancing like business and legal um, and even in your role too, cause it's like on one hand, you're a coaching agent, the other hand, you're general counsel. So, uh, I'd love to hear your, your insights on that and your experiences with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's a, a, you know, profoundly insightful point. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, one of the things that I think I found, um, most frustrating, uh, of my time at Skadden uh, was the fact that, you know, we'd be going through contracts or, you know, looking at a particular transaction. And, you know, when we'd hit upon a, you know, a business point in the contract, well, we would just kind of put it on a list. Um, 
and we'd go back and get marching orders from our clients on each of those bullet points on each of those business points. And, um, you know, I, I think that's kind of how it should go, but, you know, I, I, I was just sort of just really intellectually curious about all of it. And I kind of wanted to know, okay, well, you know, is this a good deal? Why is this a good deal? You know, what makes it a good deal? Or, you know, if we did a particular transaction, well, you know, what does that transaction look like six months from now or 18 months from now? Uh, did it work out? You know, did we do the right thing? And, you know, as a private practice lawyer, um, you don't ever really get any kind of windows into any of that stuff because that's not what people are paying you for. And I think that's particularly so, um, you know, at a place like Skadden where, you know, the clients that, that we had are, are tremendously sophisticated, um, you know, counterparties. Um, you know, the, these are folks, you know, investment banks, uh, you know, private wealth funds, that, that sort of stuff where, you know, they're really not looking to their lawyers for business advice. I mean, you know, sometimes I think when you're, when you're dealing with a, you know, a small business, um, you know, maybe they're, they're looking for kind of a more well-rounded set, uh, you know, bit of advice from, from their attorneys, but, you know, in that context, it was, um, you know, certainly a, a very complex and important role, but one that was purely legal in nature. And for me, at least, I, I kind of found that tremendously dissatisfying as far as just, you know, kind of parachuting in, uh, you know, blowing up a few weeks in my life to get a deal done from a business perspective, uh, me never really understanding what that business perspective meant or, or never, you know, no one ever really wanting to kind of explain it to me as the lawyer. Um, and then also just, you know, not knowing kind of what happened after the deal closed, you know, was it a good acquisition? Was it a disaster? Did it, you know, did it accomplish whatever they were trying to accomplish when we did it? So um, to me, at least that's, that's, I find that's kind of one of the most uh, rewarding and fun aspects of um, working in an in-house environment is, you know, really being forced to evaluate every situation uh, from both a business and legal perspective. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly the kind of thing where I can't, you know, abdicate responsibilities in terms of risk management and liability protection and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, if, if I become the person who stops things from getting done and I become an impediment to business, um, you know, in my own building, well, I'm, I'm probably not going to last very long. And so, you know, in, in a lot, a lot of the same way that, you know, you, you try to take sort of the yes, but approach. Um, I, I, I try to bring a very similar one, which is, you know, just figure out a way to make it all work. Um, and, you know, obviously make sure that you're doing whatever you can, uh, you know, to protect whether it's the client or the, the company or, or, you know, whoever our sort of uh, party and in interest is, um, you know, from a, from a liability perspective, uh, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's also making sure that, that the wheels of commerce continue to turn, uh, and, and being, you know, being able to kind of appropriately contextualize whatever legal risks that do exist, uh, within the context of, of the larger business goals to be achieved. Um, you know, and that's something that kind of takes some time to figure out how to do it. Right. I mean, I, I, um, even to this day, you know, the hardest people to negotiate with uh, are people that are like two years out of law school 
because usually they're plenty smart uh, in terms of being able to identify issues and figure out which side of that issue they want their client to be on, uh, but they don't yet have the, the experience or the seasoning to kind of understand, okay, well, you know, what are the real risks versus what are sort of the theoretical on paper risks, um, you know, just in terms of, of how a particular business transaction or event uh, is likely to play out. Um, you know, and that's, that's, I think the, the place where you can get really, really good at this stuff is, you know, understanding any particular transaction really deeply from a business perspective, uh, but then also using, you know, your legal education and, and frankly, more importantly, your legal experience, um, you know, to ensure that all the business ends are achieved while also appropriately allocating risk among the parties. Right. No, I love that. And, and your point to experience is so important because that's maybe one of the more frustrating things, um, you know, as you, as you come out as a new lawyer from law school and you, you know, you get licensed and everything and you get your clients, you know, if you're, you know, if you run your own business or if you're working in-house or you're working at a law firm is that you have this knowledge and you want to utilize it, but then it's almost like you don't know how to utilize it. Right. Um, it's like, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a, a, a sort of good example, but it's like, um, maybe I'll think of this cause I got, I got stung by a stingray recently <laughs> in the ocean. And it's like, it's like the stingray and, you know, maybe it's like, it gives off too much venom or it doesn't know when to strike or when to, when to defend itself or when to do something. Uh, and maybe that's similar to like, to like a, a, a younger lawyer too. Right. And I remember being in that spot where you just don't know, cause you have all this knowledge, be like, wait, but without applying this circumstance or, or what have you, but I, I completely agree with you uh, on that experience. And both of us have gone through it. And then of course, I think one of the great things about it is that as you gain in wisdom, those situations are, are just so much uh, easier to navigate. Um, so yeah, it's funny. I remember, um, you know, on this exact point, one, uh, one class, the, the, the only class that I took in law school, uh, that really had anything to do with negotiating a contract, uh, was an, an M&A class. Um, and I remember I was really excited. Uh, I forget, I think it was a, uh, I want to say it was, it wasn't like an NDA, but it was like maybe an exclusivity letter that we were supposed to be negotiating. And, um, you know, we were going to do a mock negotiation in class that day. And so, I remember showing up to, uh, to class and of course I had, you know, diligently prepared and was all excited about this. And I had, you know, like five different potential kind of horse trade compromises, um, you know, that I had sort of outlined, uh, jotted down. And, you know, I thought I was, I was getting ready to, you know, be the best negotiator this, this class had ever seen. And, um, you know, we get up there and of course, you know, the prof sort of tees up the situation and, turns us loose and I'm, I'm across the desk from a classmate and, you know, I start throwing out all of my, um, you know, my kind of, at least what I thought were, were very rational and well thought out, uh, you know, compromises to kind of try to get something done. Uh, and, you know, this guy basically just said no to all of them. And, you know, and when I kind of got done, like reading my list of potential compromises, 
uh, and he had said no to everything, I, I was kind of like, well, what do I do now? And, you know, the professor, I remember kind of just this, this, all this probably took maybe 15 minutes and she started kind of laughing and like shut the whole thing down and was like, all right, all right, all right. You guys are, everyone kind of is too scared to give on anything. Um, and, you know, here's how I would have done it. And, you know, in about five minutes, she kind of, you know, told both of us that all the things we were arguing about didn't matter. Uh, and, you know, highlighted three or four things in the entire uh, document that we were supposed to be negotiating, which were basically the only things that mattered in the entire document. Um, and, you know, I might have had like one or two of those things kind of, you know, incorporated in some way into the, the things that I had fleshed out before the class. But, you know, anyways, point being, like, all of that was just completely illustrative of, you know, this notion of like, you know, smart kids that are kind of smart enough to, uh, you know, identify things that, that they want uh, in, in a particular setting, but, you know, maybe not, uh, not experienced enough to really kind of understand, you know, the hierarchy of importance in terms of the issues that are, that are to be discussed. And then, you know, nowhere near confident enough, uh, you know, to kind of throw a bunch of gives at the other side in order to soften them up to try to get the one thing that's really important to you. Um, you know, and that's, that's just something that just takes time to develop. And, and frankly, I think is, is really more about subject matter expertise than anything. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just not something that law school prepares you very well for. Um, you know, law school, I think is, is really heavily litigation oriented just in terms of the approach of, you know, teaching things through case law and, and whatnot. Um, and, and so, you know, in terms of being a transactional lawyer, it's, it's really about those first years after law school, um, you know, in terms of figuring out, you know, how to get it done and, you know, what your style is going to be and, and all that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, it's just, it's knowing when to use it and, and how to use it uh, in terms of your knowledge and, and your relationships and all that. I think, um, you know, maybe talk a little bit about maybe a couple more questions um, if you've got some time and it would just be maybe how has sort of social media changed your role? Um, I mean, obviously in the, in the player standpoint, it's changed it because you've got name, image, and likeness and everything else. But then maybe from the coach's standpoint, has it changed much with social media? Um, so maybe sort of the impact of social media. And then also I'd be curious as to, uh, on particular with sort of the NIL sort of things, have you guys gotten involved in that at Athletes First? And what does that mean for you in terms of a timeline? Does, is it, I've often thought, well, you know, agencies and, uh, and agents would just move, uh, move the time clock. They would say, you know, essentially instead of waiting until, um, you know, after the draft or, you know, in the lead up to the draft, uh, or during college, it would just, you would just have those conversations earlier, um, about sort of marketing and name, image, and likeness stuff. So I, so I guess th those two questions, how has social media changed things? And then, uh, related, uh, sort of question is this idea of what does that mean for you in terms of, or even for the agency in general, in terms of like a, a time clock on, on those relationships. So as far as social media, look, I mean, I think it's, <clears throat> it's opened up, um, you know, tremendous kind of array of new opportunities, um, both for, 
coaches and, and, you know, frankly, primarily for players because, you know, just demographically they're younger. And so they're much more likely to have uh, a robust social media presence um, and have just be kind of more uh, fluent in the language of social media, you know, more at ease operating in that environment. Um, you know, to give you an example, I mean, there, there was even a situation in the last couple of years as TikTok has kind of become a new thing, uh, you know, initially no one really knew what to make of it. Uh, but we had a, a client, uh, a football player client. Um, yeah, I think he was a rookie last season, not this past season, but the season before. Um, and he was, um, you know, he, he basically had it figured out and, you know, was actually kind of almost educating our marketing team in terms of, no, hey, this is great new platform. Look at all the different things you can do. Uh, and here's how we can use it. And of course, you know, he was someone that was just way ahead of the curve. Um you know, but but has a tremendous uh, social media following and, and does a really good job with it. And that's, of course, led to, a, you know, a ton of commercial opportunities for him. Um, so number one, I would say it's it's greatly enhanced the uh, sort of the package of services that um, any kind of talent, whether it's a, you know, a movie star or, a, you know, a football player or, or a coach uh, can offer to a brand partner. Um, you know, because they can bring uh, a built-in distribution platform for any kind of content, whether it's just something as simple as a tweet uh, or something, you know, like a slick, really kind of glossy commercial video uh, that, that doesn't necessarily need to be run on expensive ad time anymore. Um, you know, if you have a, a social media uh, endorser out there who's got, you know, two, three million followers or, you know, exponentially more than that, um, you know, you can get eyeballs on it just by virtue of, of having that talent posted on their platform. Um, so I think that's, that's been one thing that's been really cool. Number two, I think it, uh, has given, uh, all of these folks, whether it's coaches or players, um, you know, a much more, uh, powerful voice in the communities in which they operate. Uh, I think it makes it a heck of a lot easier for folks to, uh, collaborate and come together to advance certain kinds of ideas. Um, you know, I think we've seen that a fair bit in the last few years uh, on the social justice front. Um, you know, and to me, that's that's just a really, really cool thing where, you know, rather than kind of doing interviews and, you know, hoping that the writer writes it in a way that that conveys the right kind of message, well, you know, now these folks can, can take that message straight to the public in their own words, um, you know, and, and kind of try to avoid, uh, you know, any kind of filter on it, which, you know, obviously cuts both ways under certain circumstances. But, uh, you know, I think by and large, it's been a really, really powerful and empowering tool. Um, you know, and that's just in terms of like, you know, my little niche of the business. Um, look, I mean, when, you know, when coaching searches are going on, uh, so the, the whole social media aspect of it, you know, of, of observers trying to figure out you know, who's going to get the job, who's interviewing for the job, um, you know, pushing certain candidates, uh, you know, saying not so nice things about other candidates, et, et cetera. All of that is far more prevalent. And I think, you know, just makes it all a little bit more complicated than it was, you know, 10 or 12 years ago um, when all of it happened with, you know, relatively little media attention and whatever media attention there was, 
you know, you're always running at least on a little bit of a delay rather than, you know, social media. It's always kind of real time in the moment, immediate response. Um, and then as far as the NIL stuff, I mean, it, it, this is a, a huge sea change in, in our industry. And I, I think it's, you know, it's, a, it's obviously much more on the player side um, than anything to do with coaches because coaches were always able to do endorsements. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've gotten into the NIL business. Uh, we have a select number of collegiate athletes that we represent for NIL purposes. Um, you know, we have even uh, met with some high school athletes to represent them for NIL purposes, because some states allow you to do that. Um, and, you know, I think our hope is that, you know, if we start representing these folks from a younger age, uh, and we do a really good job with that, well, you know, maybe they'll like what they got out of our agency. And when it comes time, um, you know, to choose their representatives for their professional career, uh, that, that they'll give us uh, some extra consideration. Um, you know, and I think that's, it certainly has accelerated the, um, you know, the point at which we're making contact with, with a lot of these athletes, because, you know, I think historically on the football side, for most players uh you know it's generally a one to maybe two year recruitment process where you know usually you're you're getting contacted by agents um you know either this the see at the start of the season that you're going to expect to declare for the draft or you know maybe a season prior um at least that's how it always always was in the football world you know and there were exceptions to that for sure you know someone like trevor lawrence who you know, it was a star from the moment he was a freshman. I mean, he was obviously, you know, had agents talking to him uh, from a much, you know, younger age than most football players would. But on the basketball side, um, you know, because there was always just the one and done rule, uh, it was actually fairly common for the the really elite talent uh, to, to be meeting with agents, you know, even before they finished high school, just to kind of start um, evaluating and building relationships with these folks. Uh, and so football is, I think, moving in that direction, um, you know, I, but I will say, I think because all this is is still such a rapidly evolving space, um, you know, I think there's probably going to be at least a little bit of a shakeout in terms of, of you know, just a little bit of, uh, you know, ebbs and flows of how this works before it sort of settles down and kind of normalizes around a certain kind of operating rhythm. And I don't know exactly what that looks like right now. I mean, you know, of course, with the, the NCAA coming out with some new guidance in the last few days, you know, looking at, at some of those booster collectives in particular, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see the approach that the NCAA and, um, you know, even some of the, uh, the individual states take uh, as far as regulating these activities. Because um, so I think there's, you know, there's perhaps been a bit of a departure from what, um, you know, folks, folks might have traditionally considered to be NIL activities. Um, but you know, as with all things, if you leave a little bit of ambiguity and, and daylight, uh, you know, in the regulatory environment, well, uh, smart, creative, entrepreneurial people are, are going to find that daylight pretty quickly. And I think that's what happened here. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't view it as, you know, any kind of misconduct on anyone's part. I think it's just more a function of the, uh, the uncertain regulatory environment that existed, um, you know, and to my mind, at least, I think there's there's going to have to be, uh, you know, a little bit more thought put into the framework, um, you know, on which all this stuff has to operate. And I think once some of that stuff gets nailed down, well, then you'll see kind of a, a more normal, um, 
you know, process in terms of, of how NIL uh, interfaces with professional agent recruiting. Right. No, that's fascinating. And, and, and I agree with everything that you said with regard to, um, you know, obviously it's interesting, number one, about these NIL rules with the NCAA. I think you have uh, other folks that are looking to have Congress do some sort of national legislation, which I just don't think is going to happen. Um, and then, of course, you got conference realignment and all these different changes that are going on. But um, I love the, the the niche that you've carved out for yourself, Scotty, and and you know just really appreciate you know obviously your time and and being with us and sharing your wisdom with us. And I want to leave on on um, maybe a couple things. Uh, one is maybe a story that you could tell, uh, an antidote or sort of a lesson learned. Uh, you know, possibly even uh, maybe entertaining or funny, uh, if you can, about maybe how you sort of overcome some sort of adversity or overcome or learn some lesson, and then maybe a parting word on uh, maybe a word of wisdom for us. Um, sure. Um, let's see. Maybe the, uh, the learn to lesson piece of it. I mean, you know, this will be kind of, uh, I guess, tricky because I don't want to, uh, you know, kind of spoil any client confidences or anything like that. Um, but I remember this was the kind of the first year that I'd gotten into representing coaches. Um, you know, I, I, I would say I, I knew what I was doing from a contractual perspective, uh, but I was still very much learning, you know, kind of learning on the fly as it relates to, um, you know, just kind of the interpersonal relationships and, um, you know, just how, how fast things can move and how sensitive each conversation is, uh, you know, at the right time of year. Um, and, um, so my, my first year in the business, I, uh, you know, I, I was on the phone with a search firm and, uh, that search firm, you know, asked me, well, you know, is such and such client interested in such and such job? And I said, well, yeah, I think, I think maybe, I mean, I, you know, I'll have to talk to him about it, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's interested in this other job that you have the search for, but, but yeah, I think he might be And the search firm is like, well, it's funny. Cause I talked with him this morning and he said, this was his, this was his best, you know, his, his highest ranked job or his, you know, his top priority. And I was thinking to myself like, oh, well, would have been good if I had known that. Um, but, um, you know, so in that moment, I, I kind of, put my foot in my mouth. Um, and, uh, you know, but th thankfully the way it all was, was able to shake out was that, you know, I was able to, to reconnect with the client and, um, you know, as it happened, this client ended up getting that job, uh, that, that I told the search firm, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe it was something he'd be willing to consider, but, you know, this, uh, this other job was actually his priority, but, you know, look for me, at least in that moment, um, you know, I think I just, it was an, an immediate kind of, um, you know, kick in the shin about, you know, just emphasizing the importance uh, of, of a few things. I would say, number one, um, the fact that, you know, in the end, the coaching business is a people business. Uh, and so, you know, staying close to your clients is important, but, you know, just kind of really understanding, um, you know, the impact that even a few words can have. Uh, you know, and, and just how important every single conversation is, particularly uh, that time of year when you're into live job searches. Um, and then I think number two 
and you know, frankly, I, I, at least I hope this was a lesson for the client at the time as well. Uh, that you know, for a client uh, or, or any principal and their intermediary, so any kind of client and principal relationship to work effectively, uh, the client and the agent have to be completely aligned and working in lockstep. Um, you know, and so you know, to some extent, it's it's maybe on me for not knowing that. Um, you know, my client had had made a phone call uh, earlier that day, uh, but by the same token, I, I would hope that that client recognized that, well, okay, if they did make that phone call, it's then, you know, in, incumbent on them uh, to immediately call me and say, hey, you know, I just had this conversation. This is how it went. So, you know, just so you know, if, if you have any conversation, that's how it was left, um, you know, and I think that that latter part is, is really just a, a kind of a crucial thing. Um, you know, for any lawyer to, to understand is that, you know, if you're not working in harmony with your client in lockstep with your client, um, it's going to become a heck of a lot more difficult to achieve the goal that your client is looking for. So, you know, if you ever kind of off on your own doing something they're not asking you to do, well, it's probably not a great thing. Um, you know, and, and by the same token, you know, you've got to make sure that, um, you know, you, you impress upon them the importance of uh, maintaining that unified front such that, you know, they're not going off and doing something without talking to you as well. Um, you know, and I think that that was a lesson that I, I thankfully learned, you know, pretty early on, on this agent thing. Um, and, and even more thankfully, I was able to, to learn it in a context that didn't actually cause anyone any harm uh, because that client ended up getting that job. Um, but, uh, you know, at that moment it was, uh, it made for a nervous day or two on my part. And that's, uh, you know, certainly not a moment I'm ever going to forget. Right. Right. And then, no, I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, your point on communication is so well taken because there are so many times where, um, you know, and I've really had to learn how to do this in my own career of just being more direct with things and being more, more vulnerable and being direct as well. Um, I think it just goes so, so much further. Cause there's a way to, there's a way to be directed, but not be rude, you know, and there's a way to, to be direct and get to a point and not, you know, come off as a jerk or whatever. But, uh, but I want to give you, Scotty, I want to give you the last word, you know, again, really appreciate you being with us. Um, any sort of words of wisdom that you can share as, you know, if somebody's, somebody's out there wanting to become an agent and want to get into that space, maybe, you know, something you could share uh, share with the crowd and in, in, in terms of, uh, of that aspect. For sure. Um, look, I mean, I think if, if someone wants to be an agent, um, I guess the, the first thing I would ask them is, is make sure, um, you know, you kind of take an honest look in the mirror, uh, and, and ask yourself, you know, why do I want to do this? Um, you know, is, is it about, you know, kind of the, the sex appeal, the cool factor, uh, is it about helping people? Uh, for me, at least it was, you know, it was about the fact that I, I, you know, considered myself an athlete for, you know, most of my life up until the point where I, I finished college and, you know, had a few knee surgeries and, um, you know, kind of had to end my basketball career. I mean, you know, at least for my competitive basketball career. Um, and so for me, at least it was just a way to stay close to sports, but I think that's, that's the number one thing is maybe kind of just really putting your finger on why are you doing this? Um, and then beyond that, I, I would just really, really strongly encourage people to, um, 
you know, do as many networking calls as you can, but, but don't do the networking calls just to network with people. Um, you know, use those calls as an opportunity to learn. Uh, most people are usually, you know, pretty willing to share war stories or, you know, tell, tell you what they like and what they don't like about their job. Um, you know, and, and I mean, look, like I, I, I certainly enjoy what I do, but I don't think I'd do it if, if I had to do it for free. Um, and, and there's, you know, there's that element to, to just about every job that's out there. And so, you know, while I certainly have found that this is a field that's, you know, tremendously rewarding and, and gives me an opportunity to, to kind of find that, um, that harmony between my professional skill set and, you know, my own personal interests, um, you know, I think there's lots of other ways to, to find that in, in other fields too. So, you know, I, I think you, you got to really understand, you know, what the job is um, and, you know, what, what is it going to take to succeed in that job, um, you know, before you really dedicate a whole lot of resources to pursuing that kind of job. Because if, if you're just, you know, thinking that you might like it because you watched Jerry Maguire once, well, you know, when you actually get into it, things might be a little bit different than you might've expected. Um, you know, and so I, that's what I would say is, you know, anyone looking to get into this world, you know, number one, really challenge yourself uh, in terms of why you want to do it. Um, and then number two, just spend a whole lot of time, um, you know, kind of kicking the tires and figuring out, you know, what, what does this job actually entail? Um, you know, how, what do people like about it? What, what, what don't people like about it? And, you know, do I think all of that is a good match for, um, you know, my own personality? Am I going to, am I actually going to like this? And then if you, if you do like it and you want to get into it, well, great. And, you know, for those people that, that are able to kind of, you know, think long and hard about it and reach that determination, um, you know, my advice is the earlier, the better. Uh, it's, it's the kind of thing where, you know, this business definitely takes, you know, years to, to kind of build a business and build a reputation and frankly, just, you know, learn, um, learn enough to the point where, you know, you have some credibility. And I think the earlier you start on that journey, the better. Because um, in, in just about any kind of agency business, there are absolutely going to be some lean years when you start. Uh, and it's probably better to have those lean years um, you know, within a first few years out of law school, uh, or sometimes even before, if, if, you know, if you're just going to be an agent without even going to be a lawyer, which I think is totally doable these days, um, you know, then, then all of a sudden kind of having a midlife crisis and deciding you want to become a sports agent at some point down the road, um, you know, when you might have a family to support and, and whatnot, and, you know, those lean years become a little bit more painful and, um, you know, maybe some of the stuff that's, that's the more thankless side of being an agent, uh, is a little less palatable as you become, you know, more senior in your own career. So, you know, figure out, you know, why do you want to get into it? Figure out, you know, exactly what part of it it is that you want to get into. Um, you know, and then if you want to do it, well, you know, dive in the pool and learn how to swim. Cause that's, that's the best way to do it in my view. And, um, you know, I think is, is the fastest way to, um, you know, to get on a successful path is, is just, you got to start doing it. It's, this is, uh, you know, the, the agency world is, is not, um, it's much more a results driven thing, um, you know, than kind of a theory and preparation. It oftentimes doesn't really matter, you know, kind of how you sign a client. It's just, did, did you sign that client? Um, you know, and that's, um, 
that's just kind of one of the facts of life of this space. And, um, you know, the sooner you kind of just get in that pool and start thrashing around, well, you know, sooner, sooner than later, uh, you, you know, you're going to be making forward progress. It's just going to take some time. Yeah, no, I love that. And Scotty, that's great advice. Um, you know, I often tell people, you know, sometimes you just got to take that jump off the diving board if you really want to do something and, and you got to just, uh, you know, just really just get after it. Uh, if it's something you really want to do, um, you know, enough talking about it, just go, just, just sort of go make it happen, you know, put your, exactly. yeah, put your feet to the ground and, and see, see where it takes you. I mean, you know, I started like, we were, you know, we were talking earlier and it's like, I started my, you know, my practice, you know, a decade ago, but, um, you know, in that time, you know, I tried my hand at baseball, you know, agency and it just, you know, Hey, stuff just doesn't work out. You move on, you, you figure out what works, what doesn't, and you, you know, lesson learned it's, you know, failure is a part of success, you know, particularly if you use it to, to learn from it and to grow from it. But, um, couldn't agree more. And and I think, you know, you just kind of, you know, you got to get in there and just start, um, you know, start trying to do it. Um, you know, and the sooner, the sooner you get into it, like you said, you know, jump off the diving board, um, you know, the sooner you'll be swimming. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, well, you're awesome, Scotty. I really do appreciate you. And, and, uh, again, everybody, this is Scotty Gaffield. He's the general counsel and coaching agent at athletes first, a very well-known and recognized, uh, sports agency and sports marketing company um, here in, uh, based in Southern California, but obviously nationwide. Um, but, uh, again, Scotty really appreciate you and uh, look forward to chatting with you soon. Thanks very much, Jeremy. Pleasure to be here. All right. Thanks. All right, folks. That was Scotty Gaffield with athletes first, their general counsel and uh, coaching agent. So I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, thank you again for listening in and making us the number one sports law podcast in the world look forward to being back with you uh, next week. Thank you so much. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.